as Jib said, we're in a uh, series about eternally human, and what we're looking at there is uh, what um, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, what that means for us, that he promises to raise us from the dead and to give us eternal life. What does that mean for us now? And so what we're trying to grow in, just to give it away, uh, and maybe you've already picked up on that, is that there's a sense that as a church we understand quite well the gospel around justification, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, and it's Jesus' work alone, not ours. And there's a sense that we understand the grace of that uh, around justification, and, and, and we'll keep growing in that, but there's a, there's a decent understanding. But what we're trying to, to grow in, it will extend our, our understanding of, is that Jesus didn't just end up on the cross, he was also raised to life, and so there's this new life that He promises us and the Spirit that He gives us. And so how do we walk in, in newness of life in, in, while we wait for the ultimate newness of life to come? And so we're in this in-between period. So we're tr- trying to grow in this understanding of what does resurrection life look like on this side of it. Um, so we're not just waiting as if nothing has happened. Something already has happened. If you've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, Something of a dead person has already been raised to life because the Bible tells us that we can't uh, save ourselves. And Paul says, no one is looking for God. Um, God comes looking for us and He gives us faith and raises us. So something already wonderful has happened and His Spirit is given to us to become more and more like Jesus. So something wonderful is happening, but we're all still needing to be transformed. If any of you know me, um, you don't even need to know me well. You just need to kind of know me a little bit then you know that I still need to be transformed into the image of Christ. And all of you that I know decently well, I know that you still need to be transformed into the image of Christ. So we're still on a journey. We, we haven't yet arrived, um, but that's where we're going. So we're looking eternally human at different subjects that are culturally relevant. What are um, subjects that we need to discuss just to think about it in our time and context? And these are kind of, some of them land, some of them are just kind of putting forward uh, a place to begin digging even deeper. Um, and so you can go back and look. And so today we're looking at mental health. I want to, uh, it's a huge subject and we're not going to be able to cover it in a sermon. Um, but we're going to, in, this is one that we'll kind of introduce and enter into um, and then dig deeper. I think the hope is this, that, that for those who uh, struggle in the darkness of mental challenges, that there, there would be some assurance that there's hope in Jesus that there's, we're not hopeless. And those who or maybe, uh, you know, have, um, I don't think there's many like this, but those who uh, have absolutely no sense of mental challenges and it's like, nah, if you're a Christian, it's like the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, you just need more of Jesus. Um, and that's true, but we're only going to get all that we need one day. We don't have it uh, yet. And, and so hopefully there may be more compassion that kind of enters your heart towards those who struggle. And, and together as a church, we can maybe faithfully um, view this real issue. One in four people struggle with mental health challenges, diagnosable ones. I think we probably all struggle with challenges, but one in four have a diagnosable mental health challenge that they have to face. Um, And so we're going to look at one today. Here's the map of where we're going, um, just so you know, and then we'll get there. Uh, Firstly, I'm just going to go through just some, some... facts just some just to kind of bring us into the conversation to make us who are less sensitive kind of just aware of what it what it feels like just one one mental health challenge we can't look at all of them um then 
we're going to just read through a little bit of 1 Kings 19. We did that at community groups, if you were there this week. Um, so you're familiar with the passage. Those who didn't, we're just going to read through a little bit of 1 Kings 19. Um, and then Mary and I are going to have a conversation. Mary works in the health field. This is her profession, so she'll, we'll have a conversation in relation to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 is about God's prophet Elijah. We would expect God's prophet to kind of be uh, the man, right? One of the, like, this is someone we can look up to and learn from. And uh, he has some serious mental health issues. And uh, Mary, we're going to discuss that a little bit. And then we're going to land by just uh, looking again at lamenting. What does lamenting mean? Uh, and how can that help you engage honestly um, lamenting is this kind of gift, this vessel, this opportunity to enter into the presence of God uh, wherever you find yourself at. All right, so that's the journey we're going on. Um, Mary, you're welcome to come in and join me uh, over here, if you will. Um, Mary's a, uh, for those who don't know, Mary's a member of this church and, like I said, works in the mental health field. We'll hear more about her in a second. Let me just read some things. Oh, firstly, Jib, can you get a, the mic? And um, Mary, just to warm up, can you just say hello? <laughs> hello. <laughs> Tell us who you are, maybe what you do in the mental health field. So I'm Mary, Mary Roberts. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, and I, I work in two different places. One place is a not-for-profit not organisation where I do general psychology, dealing with um, depression, anxiety, grief issues, the, the normal stuff that psychologists would deal with. And then the other two days a week, I work for a pain specialist um, in a multidisciplinary environment with physios and OTs and pain specialist doctors. Um, and there I specialise with working with people with chronic pain. Um, I also specialise in with sleep problems and trauma. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that we have you to chat to this morning. Um, we're going to get to that in a second. Let me just kind of introduce the subject. We are going to look a little... Yeah, let me just... We'll go into it. Okay. Mental health. Big field, right? Uh, those of you who... Last week we asked about emotional um, health and we said, you know, who feels a little bit awkward around the subject? Oh, no. And the, the week before that, not many hands went up. When, when you hear about mental health, just shout out words that... A, in a word, what, what's the feeling around the, the subject of mental health? You don't have to be right or wrong, just a feeling. Stress? Stress. Fear? Sadness? Sadness. Stigma? Stigma. Uncertainty. Uncertainty? Complex. Complex. No one's saying like beer and Skittles, <laughs> fun, uh, dream come true. Like the, it's, it's a difficult issue, right? Um, okay, so let's just look at it a little bit. And hopefully some of that, the stigma someone said, can be lifted, hopefully. Hopefully some of the lid can come off. Um, and that anyone who does struggle, I hope that by the end of this, you have immense freedom to enter dialogue with others, to get support and help and, and um, feel loved in your journey. Um, so let me just read through some stuff. It will go up on the board as well, and then we'll get into conversation. Um, a person who has experienced depression, we're looking at depression because of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, and Mary will take us there specifically, but uh, uh, a person who has experienced depression may feel like there is little to no pleasure of joy in life. They find concentration and focus become much more difficult. Decision-making of any kind is challenging. They have trouble sleeping, and sometimes they, they even experience physical pain. A person with depression may feel miserable, irritable, overwhelmed, guilty, frustrated, lacking in confidence. They may be tired all the time, sick and run down. 
experiencing headaches, stomach and muscle pains, a churning gut, change in appetite, significant weight gain or loss. They may also feel tearful, empty and hopeless. Those who have experienced depression have said, depression feels like a weight on my chest, receiving praise at work but still feeling worthless, loneliness when I see other couples and families laughing and enjoying their lives, like I'm a failure as a person, family member and friend. I don't brush my teeth because I simply cannot move. Depression makes my mind feel like a turtle running in chunky peanut butter. Uh, I appreciate the humor there, but it's a difficult image. Makes me, what depression makes me feel like a turtle running in chunky peanut butter. That's a, a picture of difficulty. A person who has experienced depression may think... I'm a failure, it's my fault, nothing good ever happens to me, I'm worthless, there is nothing good in my life, things will never change, life's not worth living, people would be better off without me. A person who has uh, experienced depression may withdraw from family and friends, stop going out, stop enjoyable activities, not get things done at work and school rely on alcohol and sedatives and YouTube and other drugs, sleep too little or too much. In other words, it's a greatly uh, difficult challenge uh, for those who experience this mental challenge. And for those of us who don't, it's good that we can be sensitive to those who do. Um, and it's th for those of you who do, hopefully there's a, a sense of we, we see you, we want to acknowledge the struggle and we want to understand it. Um, better. So we could look at a whole bunch. Um, like I said, this is just one of the big ones and that's why we're looking at it specifically. Um, and it seems to be maybe the one that Elijah experienced in 1 Kings 19, but Mary can com confirm or deny that. Um, but there's some other people, other Christians, other famous Christians we might think about. I, and I think it's just good, you know, it's just to get it maybe out of the Bible who, and, and into maybe our history uh, or, or more familiar history, more recent history. So you go, these are people who acknowledged, um, maybe they didn't have the words because it was so long ago. Maybe they did start to have the words as we get closer to this time, but who struggled. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, he, he struggled with what he called spiritual melancholy, spiritual depression, feelings of guilt, despair, and distance from God. William Cowper, the poet and hymnist. John Newton, the, the gentleman who wrote Amazing Grace. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. C.S. Lewis, the author and scholar, he described a deep and overwhelming sadness that clouds one's perspective on life and a sense of being abandoned by God. Mother Teresa, who's famous for being Mother Teresa, uh, and many other things too. Um, she talked about the dark night of the, so the soul, the spiritual darkness and in interior suffering. She described a sense of loneliness and emptiness. And then more recently, Lecrae, the uh, Grammy Award winning Christian hip-hop artist. Um, he described being overwhelmed by life, finding it hard to be joyful, a sense of isolation. Uh, those of us who think kind of, you know, all we need is we can kind of spiritualize these things and say you just need more prayer. And, you, and we, hopefully we are praying with one another. Peter Gregg, I appreciate his honesty about his struggle because he's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, and he describes the experience of deep despair, a sense of hopelessness, overwhelming sadness, the inability to find pleasure and joy, intrusive thoughts, and feeling far from God. 
Um, Beth Moore, the Bible teacher, most of you would be aware of, describes sadness, despair, and emotional turmoil. So mental challenges don't come to certain kinds of people. There are some people who in life are a bit negative, a bit moody, a bit melancholy by personality. It's not that like mental illness is a magnet that gets drawn to this personality type. Mental illness can be experienced by all kinds of people, um, not just those who by personality are a little bit more in touch with their moody emotions. Right? And, and hopefully this kind of just uh, helps us see that a little bit and be sensitive to that. So, uh, let me read 1 Kings 19, and um, then we're going to get into it, Mary. Um, so, Elijah has just experienced the prophets of Baal scenario. You guys know about that, right? So, uh, for those of you who don't, uh, Elijah had this little competition, Bible competition, and what he did is he got the prophets of Baal to try and prove that their God was real. And he's like, you know, get your God to set this thing on fire. And they couldn't do it. They were like cutting themselves and doing all these rituals like voodoo magic. But nothing happened. And then Elijah was like, okay, we're just going to like pour water on this. And then we'll dig a trench and we'll like make it, basically flood it, soak it with water until everyone's like, it's impossible. And then once everyone was like, no, it can't happen. He's like, okay, God, show yourself. The thing doesn't just get lit like a candle. It gets properly incinerated. Um, there's nothing but dust left over. Uh, and Elijah says, okay, kill all the prophets of Baal. They're clearly false. Get rid of them. And they take them down and they behead them. Uh, they just annihilate them. Straight after this, Jezebel, who's really the king in charge. It's not really the king. Uh, it's the king's wife, Jezebel, is really the, the, the lead of this kingdom decides that she wants to kill Elijah. But, you know, think about it in your life. You have massive success. You see God come through in ways that only God can come through. You have an incredible testimony. You get up in church and tell everyone, the whole church leans in and goes, wow. The church's body language is, we are amazed by God. People leave afterwards and go, I was starting to doubt God, but after your story, I'm just so encouraged again. Truly, only God could do that. And by the end of the next week, you're nowhere with God again, wondering if He even knows who you are. You're experiencing major doubts, fears, anxieties, can't sleep because there's some, some uh, trouble at work or, or something. So this is real. We experience these. You, you, you and I know the ups and the downs, right? Walking with Jesus is not this like single uh, road straight towards joy and ease. It's up and it's down. Um, and, and so, let's just read it. He says, Ahab told, ah, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, um, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he's alone, he's isolated, he's withdrawing. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no longer, uh, I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, 
There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again in a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength that the food, uh, of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Mary, can, um, so we've got a few questions. Can you describe Elijah or this psalmist as a patient? You see people uh, most days, every day, uh, I'm not sure. Um, you see people uh, every day and they come in. Imagine Elijah's come in to see you. Uh, how serious is what he's expressing? How, and how would you communicate? I know you're not allowed to talk about your patients, but this, in this case, it's okay. Well, <laughs> I can't fully diagnose him because he's not here with me. But from this passage, it's clear that he's got some significant anxiety and depression. And he's obviously in an extremely stressful situation. Um, but the most important thing from that passage that I see is that he has what we call suicidal ideation, basically mm. thoughts of suicide, and that is very serious. So if he was my client, um, I would not be able to let him go home without us doing a safety plan. Mm. Um, I would encourage him to make an urgent appointment with his GP, and I would also encourage him to um, uh, talk to at least one family member or friend so that there's somebody else who knows what mm. he's going through and can support him. Um, so Elijah, sorry, this isn't in the, in the questions, but Elijah, this great man of God, you, you're not really super comfortable with him leaving the room unless there's a safety plan. Absolutely. Right. Um, hopefully already, I, when Mary said that at our community group, it felt like the whole community group kind of was like, what? Like... Yeah, I've heard of these, but I never imagined someone in the Bible would be that kind of person. And this is one person. We, we, can, we can pick a whole bunch of others as well um, who would be very similar. Um, okay, how important is it to communicate with others when experiencing this sort of darkness or challenge? It's so very important. Um, one of the most protective factors against suicide is having good supports, family mm. and friends around you. Um, there's so many good things that can come from this. Um, when you talk to somebody, there's comfort that comes with that. Um, plus also there's a, a sense of being heard and a relieving of a burden. Mm. Um, and that can give a release to the, the internal pain that you're experiencing. Um, so it's really important to talk to somebody. Um, so when you see Elijah withdrawing from his servants and going alone, is that like a danger, alarm. Absolutely. And it's fairly common when people um, experience depression, there is the urge to withdraw because there's the fear that if I have an interaction, uh, more pain might come. And so they feel like they're being self-protective by withdrawing. But unfortunately, we need social connection. Mm. And if we withdraw, our mood gets worse. So right. yeah, he's at, in a quite a risky place. Do you have any just immediate tips just in, in that? Obviously, Elijah withdraws. He wants to withdraw. He wants God to take his life. Obviously, when we're doing well, it's easy to think, oh, I'll, I will press in. But when we're not doing well, it's hard. Do you have any kind of tips with, <laughs> in that moment when it's difficult? Yeah, um, there's this catchphrase that I quite like that actually comes from Nike. <laughs> do you remember the Nike ad that said, just do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, if you wait to feel like connecting with people when you're in this place, it will never happen. Mm. So it means acting against what your emotions are telling you and connecting even though you're not feeling like it. And as you do connect, mm. your mood will start to lift and you'll start to spiral upwards instead of spiraling downwards. Very good. Uh, can I just dig in there a little bit more? I think it's Dan Siegel who talks, I'm, I'm not sure about depression, I think about anxiety, about emotions. And he has this phrase that says, uh, name it to tame it. And you've spoken about how sharing and being in community can just help lift your mood and re uh, relieve some of the burden. Is there a sense that speaking, being able to speak this out with others, um, does tame some of those thoughts and feelings? There, there is. Um and even more so, if you are talking about this with somebody else, often it can be a balance to what your thoughts are doing when you're on your own. You know, when you're on your own, your thoughts can really get into that dark place. Mm. If you're talking to somebody um, and they're listening to you, it gives you that instant message that this person cares about you mm. um, and that you do matter and that you're not alone and that that is so much more important than reading some self-help book. Mm. Yeah, very good. Okay, so then the, the uh, someone's found the courage. Well, let me just ask you one more question about that before we go to the next question. Um, I guess what do we need to be aware of that the resources that someone needs to find in themselves in order to share that they're struggling, like courage. I've just named courage, but what, you know, let's say I'm sharing with you. What is it important for you to know that I'm having to find it? in me to to share this oh absolutely courage and strength in that moment um, that person is becoming extremely vulnerable they're showing their their underbelly they're admitting to what the world may see as weakness yeah. um, and in that space when you when you show that part of you um, if someone was to be negative about it, it like it's so painful yeah. um, so they really are being so very courageous mm. when they are open with you. Okay, really helpful. Um, okay, so let's get to the question. Someone comes and shares. Um, how should we respond if a, if, a, if a friend has chosen to let us be their listening ear? What are some things we should know about that? Um, okay, so this is not rocket science. It's, <laughs> it's fairly simple in fact. You just need to be gentle and kind and listen, listen, listen. Um, you, know, you know that old um, wives' tale or grandmother saying, if you've got, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> In this case, this, this really is the most important thing. Get your big ears on. Listen, mm. listen, listen. What if the listener is feeling like, I'm ill-equipped, this is beyond my understanding? What, what, what you, can they do? You don't need special skills to listen, do you? <laughs> we all can do this. There is no particular thing that you need to do. Um, if you feel like this person needs some professional help, then you can refer them to do that. Rem yeah. You know, recommend that they see their doctor and or a psychologist and um, or a counsellor yeah. for support. It, like you aren't the person who's going to fix things. You're you're being their kind friend. Yeah. That's what you're being. Yeah, very good. Um, there's a as Christians, maybe more so than um, non-Christians, uh, it can be hard. Sorry for everyone I'm turning my back to, but we can get confused and even feel some sort of burden of, 
having to lift the burden off of someone and get them back to a place of hope and joy. Um, and accidentally, we can maybe judge the person. Um, can you just speak into that a bit? Yeah, in fact, that's probably the, the big thing I would say don't do. Um, it can be quite easy to... Actually, even before I say that, let me just say something else. Um, Jesus, he got distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. Mm. And Paul, we read in the Bible, Paul writes about how he and um, his friends who were imprisoned, they despaired unto death. Mm. This is part of our human condition. We live in a fallen world and this is our current state. Mm. Um, if we dive straight in with some, um, some truths that we know, like um, God is going to be with you um, and that you know, everything's going to be okay, when we think about eternity in the end it will be okay if we dive straight into that what it results in is the person often feels condemned they end up feeling like oh this is my fault because i'm not trusting god enough mm. um and uh and that condemnation will result in them feeling um that uh, like self-blame and their self-worth will go worth will go down even lower and they'll get more depressed <laughs> mm. um, and as they close off from you because remember this person's very vulnerable as they close off from you then they can't hear the truth so it actually makes things worse rather than better um, it's it's important to know that um, you know we are all flawed mm. um, yeah. it's like we, might, we know that if we keep our eyes on God, then you know, we weren't gonna get sad about losing things because our joy's in him and not yeah, the okay. world. But, but we all lose sight of God at points and we got caught up in the world. This is part of our human nature. Yeah. So to judge them for doing that is, um, you know the, the passages that talk about um, take the log out of your own eye yeah. before you try and take the speck out of someone else, you'll fall into that trap and it will actually make things worse for them. Mm, very good. Maybe maybe you can um, just dig into a little bit more the idea about you, you spoke about our fallen nature, and maybe the feelings, not cognitively, like not in the front of our minds, but as someone sharing, maybe we take a position of superiority, mm. um, but we forget that we're just as fallen. Yeah, and it is true. Um, there's this thing called um, state-induced learning. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that concept, but it's the idea that when you're in a particular state, it's easy to remember the thoughts and feelings that you had while you're in that state. And when you're not in that state anymore, it's hard to remember. And they, they discovered this through research into alcohol, actually. Um, if you were drunk and you learned something, you're more likely to remember it when you're drunk. So, <laughs> so bear that in mind when you're studying for exams. <laughs> but, but it plays out with this as well. When, when you are down, it's easy to remember what it feels like to be depressed. When you're in a good place, it's hard to remember. Mm. This person's in that space. You have likely been in places similar. But okay. when you're not, it's harder to relate. So we have to actively, actively remind ourselves that don't have it all together we end up you know losing sight and and missing um, you know the truth of, of God and what he's done for us um, mm. and we're no better than the person who's struggling we are all in this together we're all the same yeah I, I know you're not saying this directly but I'm also hearing you say that we should we should curate the environments we learn in like have a Kit Kat nearby and <laughs> and therefore continue to eat Kit Kats whenever you want to remember yeah go for it <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right. Uh, when we look at Elijah in this scenario, you know, he's under this broom tree. And when we did a community group, you, I mean, you were, you were bounding in your seat. I love this text. I love this text. We have Elijah under a broom tree saying, God, take my life, suicidal ideations in isolation. And we have God responding. What, what do you notice about God's response to Elijah? Um, oh, he is just so gentle and so generous with his caring. And he, he doesn't, like, it would be so easy to just go, Elijah, what are you doing? I've just done this amazing thing. Why on earth are you scared now? You know what I can do. Um, but he doesn't do that. He, he, he meets him where he's at and he, he looks after him. He feeds him. He doesn't just give him bread. He gives him cake. <laughs> he's just so kind. He gives him shelter and he gives him rest. He, he meets um, his basic needs. Um, from a psychological perspective, he's, he's doing exactly what we would recommend. <laughs> um, has anybody ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, okay, so some of you have. So um, Maslow's theory is um, that there are levels of needs and if the basic ones aren't met first, you, ca you can't even have a look at, at addressing the ones that are above. So he has like this, sorry, can't <laughs> move both hands and the microphone at the same time. Um, he has like this pyramid. On the bottom layer is your physical needs. There's um, food and shelter. The next layer up is safety and security. The one above that is being loved and a sense of belonging. Mm. Then the next one is self-esteem, self-worth. And then the very, very top, at the tiny apex, is self-actualization, which is basically meeting your potential. And you know, quite often we want to go, oh, we want them to meet their potential, let's go straight for that. Mm. But you can't address that if the bottom ones aren't addressed. All their energy is going to be taken up just meeting those basic needs. And that's what, that's what God does. Oh. He, he dives in and sees what's going on for him and goes, you're exhausted, you're worn out, you're hungry, let me, do, let me meet that. You're under a tree, let me find a cave for you. Mm. He, he meets him where he's at and he's so kind. Um. Someone's, let's just personalise this, someone's sharing with us, how do we try and meet their, their basic needs in the moment? If someone's talking about depression and they're also living in their car, <laughs> well, that obviously has to be addressed first. <laughs> um, if someone is exhausted and they are struggling to the basic things of life, well... You know, providing meals, organising for the house to be cleaned, um, getting a service to um, wash their clothes for them. Look, it, it's not just about being that listening ear, that's important, but if there are physical needs that we can see, mm. it's really good that we are God's hands and feet and help to address their needs as well. And look at what God does, he gives cake. <laughs> mm. So let's just think, how can we do this the best way we possibly can to really love on this person? So, so acts of love can kind of be circuit breakers, meeting, meeting personal, meeting needs. Yeah, and it means that person then knows, oh my gosh, you guys really do care about me. Um, right. I'm not um, invisible and you love me and you're putting yourselves out for me. That really does um, mm. lead to that feeling of being cared for and important and loved. Very good. Um, maybe another side of that, which I'd love you to speak into, is God doesn't. In this text, God doesn't take away the demands that God has placed on Elijah's life. So God's mm. committed him to a journey. Elijah's trying to get taken out of life. And God's reaffirming, no, you've got this journey you need to go on. 
you can't do it in your own strength, he says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep feeding you. Wake up again. You know, you've had a meal, then you took a nap. You know, our community group loved that. God wakes you up, he feeds you, and he says, take a nap. Then he wakes you up again and feeds you again. <laughs> Who'd sign up for that? Like, yes, please. <laughs> so it's gentle, it's slow, it's pace. But it's also got, you know, God saying, the journey is not going away. So that's a bit of a demand. I'm going to give you everything you need to equip you for that journey. That's a bit of a resource. But how do we as listeners, um, I guess, find that, I don't want to say balance because that sounds like a this or a that, but find that wisdom of we want to uh, entering those loving acts that meet their basic needs like food and sleep and, and at the same time um, encourage them towards the things that God has for them. So, they, so it, it may be like, like you saying, you know, you need to go see a, a GP and that, that may be... So there's, there's some like demands placed on them for their good. Do you, do you get... Yeah, I do. Um, there's a bit that God does in between putting that demand on. Okay. Um, so uh, in the passage, um, after he's given him food and water and he's gone to the cave, so if we were to keep reading, what we find out is that God asks him not once but twice, mm. why are you here? Mm. Um, you know, God already knows the answer to this, so why is he doing this? He's, he's asking him because it gives Elijah a chance to tell his story. A chance, a chance to mm. say, look, life is pretty rubbish right now. Mm. And, and for him to have a sense of being heard and understood, and that's why the listening part is just so important. Mm. And God models that for us in this passage. And it's only after that that, he's, that he then says, um, but wait, I still have more for you. Mm. I have things for us to do. And in that stuff that he's asking him to do, it's part of the big picture of the kingdom. He's asking him to... Um, to go and uh, anoint people for, for work that uh, God has in store for them. So there's like this future hope. Yeah, good. Um, and it's really important to, to be caring, uh, but you can't just be the warm fuzzy and leave it at that. People need that future hope. Um, and it might be something that's a bit more immediate, like mm. going to see a GP and getting a referral to the psychologist or getting some antidepressants or whatever it might be. Um, there's also the bigger picture as well. When I think about my profession, I'm all about the warm, fuzzy part of it. I'm, I, am, I know that, that there are changes that occur in my clients' lives because of the relationship they have with me and also their skills and tools that I teach them. Um, but I also know that, you know, that's only, it's only giving help temporarily. It's, it's a, it helps for the now, but it doesn't change anything in the big picture. Um, only God can do that. It doesn't change where they're going. It doesn't change what's underlying their distress, mm. um, which is the fact that we're in this fallen world and we all need God. Um, I, and I often struggle in my profession. There's like boundaries around my profession that I'm part of. A, I'm registered with um, and the organisation that reg that registers doctors and nurses, and we have a code of conduct that we have to abide by as psychologists. And part of that tells me that I'm not allowed to talk about my faith with my clients. 
um, unless they bring it up. So often I'll ask questions that might prompt <laughs> them to then ask me questions. Um, but often I'm hamstrung and I can feel like I can give this help, but, but this person actually needs more. What they need is a future hope. Mm. I'm surprised you're pausing there. I feel like you, you're like, <laughs> I want to just to say, keep going. <laughs> um, I, I know that that future hope, it comes in Jesus. Mm. Um, as kind as I can be and as, as knowledgeable as I am in my field and can impart that, it's not going to do the transforming work in the same way as Jesus can. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus, oh, he has been fully human. He knows exactly what it's like to be living in this life he he has grieved and mm. wept like he knows what it's like for us to experience pain mm. um so he can understand us and he knows us intimately so that sense of being understood and known can can be so much deeper coming from him than mm. than me or some or a friend mm. um he he has also made a way for our sins to be covered um, so all the shame and guilt from our past can be wiped away with him. That's better than any psychological work. <laughs> yeah. um, he has provided us with the Holy Spirit, who's our comforter, who's with us, and um, is with us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow mm. of death. And Jesus has made a way for us to be with him in eternity, mm. where where we will be whole, where um, mm. we, oh, we won't have any anxiety or insecurity or pain. There'll be no more tears. Mm. Um, the, the world we're in will be perfect. <laughs> and, you know, that's for eternity. And when we fully understand that, it helps us to put into place or into context the struggles that we have now, mm. like this is temporary compared to eternity. So it helps us to have the strength to cope with what we're going through now when mm. we have that kind of big picture perspective. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I'm just going to come back a little bit. I hope you don't mind. That's fine. Uh, in a conversation, you know, brothers, sisters talking, someone's struggling, sharing it, someone's listening. Is it correct? Help. I think I learned that statistically there's no model that's no model of therapy that's that's that efficacious that it just will fix you by itself but the thing that changes everything Jesus is the only one that changes everything but the thing that is most effective is a therapeutic relationship that you connect with the person you're speaking with yes that's, yes um, actually, there's been a bunch of research that showed even though you might be doing a, a treatment like CBT or EMDR, you won't know what those mean, but they're, um, sorry, I'll just stick that up there now, um, they're actual treatment strategies that we have evidence based behind them. So there's research that's shown that they make a difference in people's lives. Mm. If a psychologist was to use that treatment therapy with a client, but you don't have a good therapeutic relationship, the client won't receive the benefit that mm. um, is is there for them. Mm. The thing that really makes a difference is is that relationship that you okay. have with the client. The reason I ask that is because maybe we when we hear when we hear people and we feel 
uh, we're not quite capable to deal with this or we're not, we're not competent in, or we like, oh, I should have like paid more attention in high school psychology or, or whatever it was. <laughs> it's a good reminder to know that actually loving one another, connecting with one another is the, the most helpful thing we can do in that, in that moment. Is that? Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. so as, if you can connect with someone, you are equipped to help someone. Is, yeah. Would, yeah. Would you, is that true? Absolutely. And that, you know, we can all do that. Yeah. There's no particular skill that you, or training you have to have done. It's just simply being engaged with that person and letting them know that you care. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'm trying to help those who end up in the listener's seat feel like, feel like we are equipped because we, we, will feel too, we will feel small or whatever, but to realize, man, I, I can love this person. And instead of praying like, oh, who should I think of? Who should they speak to? What was I supposed to remember about something? We can sit and think, God, can you help me to love them and see them as you do in this moment? That's all they need right now from me, or the first thing they need from me is for me to love them as you do and to trust that the Holy Spirit can kind of draw us towards them and them towards ourselves. Um, do you want to make a comment on that? Um, just, just in terms of if we're loving someone the way God loves them, you know, when he looks at us, um, he, he is not looking at our sin and going, get away from me. He's like we're covered in Christ. Um, mm. And so, you know, we, we need to be treating our brothers and sisters in that knowledge as well. Um, and so that's a, a, another important factor about not judging. Like we're all sinned and flawed and we're all covered in, in Christ's glory because of what he's done for us. Um, so it, it's about being fully present and, uh, and um, being gentle with their vulnerability with us. Yeah. That's exactly where I wanted to go. And uh, the di- putting, giving people dignity, um, I guess... Just, I just want to go there a little bit. What God does with Elijah is he still calls him, as you said, to go and anoint so-and-so. There's no evidence in Scripture that Elijah ever did that. Commentators actually think Elijah never went in and did that. He kind of got better in a way. He got over that momentary challenge and, and moved on with other things, but didn't go do that thing that God said, you know, go there and anoint so-and-so. Um, but, what, but what we see from God and how God treats him is there still the sense of dignity to see something for Elijah beyond what Elijah can see? Mm. And so I guess saying, as we sit down and listen to each other, to be able to see not brokenness, like, yeah, I don't think, I don't really see a way that God could use you, but you, you need to just stay alive till Jesus comes back. Or, you're, you know, like, we can maybe feel that way. or like, yeah, this is like bad. You, you, you can't get out of bed in the morning. You, you really are just a useless lump. Those would be terrible um, reinforcements of these lies. But to be able to see, I I guess I I just want you to speak into, and you already have, be able to see for each other a future beyond this, even if you don't walk into it, even if you don't do it, that God hasn't given up on you, God hasn't uh, thrown His plans for you out the window. Um, And, like with Elijah... It's not even a threatening thing. You know, like God goes, go and do this. And there's no evidence that he did this, that. And God doesn't just wipe him out. You know, I've fed you. I've spoken to you. And now you just like, you, you went down there and then you went, you went the wrong way. 
<laughs> you know, like he seems to continue being patient with Elijah, using Elijah, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm just saying, uh, I guess I'd love you to speak into how we give people dignity by, by seeing beyond their mental health challenges to more that God has for them, even if they don't achieve it all. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it's important that you, um, in a psych term, we would say engender hope. <laughs> but it's, it's that you're giving them a future view and knowledge that um, God, mm. God uses all of us and we all have our, our strengths and our weaknesses, but we all have our giftings that God will use and this person does as well. Um, and so knowing mm. that there is that big picture that God's gonna be using them in the future. You can't dive straight in with that though. Remember that God does that towards the end after he's being loved on and yeah. listened to. If you go, oh, you'll be fine. God's got these plans for you. Yeah. It, it, again, they're gonna be hurt, um, feeling like they haven't been listened to and loved mm. um, and understood. So you need to do it at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um. As we uh, kind of land this conversation, and I, I think what's true is there's like a whole frequently asked questions waiting over there for Mary. She'll be here afterwards. You can <laughs> you can uh, you can go and solicit her advice, um, and please do. But I think you you really went there, and maybe you can just reiterate it. Uh, you said something at CG that was like. This is not how you said it. You said it much more eloquently than this. But basically, we haven't really done anything until we've given people hope. Or we're not finished yet until we've given people hope or brought them to hope. We can't leave them until we get them to a place of hope. So you've already discussed it, but as Christians, how do we bring hope? How do we find our hope in Jesus um, and bring each other to that place? Yeah. Um, the, the world, everything that it offers is temporary mm. and flawed and God is the only truly trustworthy being mm. <laughs> um, so our, our hope lies in him and so to have this person just be kind of cared for and looked after and mm. to be happy now that, that's fine for now mm. but it doesn't change anything in the long term for that person and that that hope really only comes in Jesus, mm. in um, what he has done for us and the plans that he has for us and where we're heading in, in the end, that big picture. Mm. And our knowledge about that helps us to cope with the difficulties that we go through now. Um, and um, having the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is with us is gonna comfort us and enable us to be strong when it's hard, mm. um, that gives us hope as well. Uh, and there's nothing in the world that gives the hope in the same way as what our faith in God does. Mm. Yeah. New heaven and new earth. Mm. What's mental oh. health going to be like? <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be a good mental health. <laughs> <laughs> mental health can be good too. Um, <laughs> the whole time, there'll be no struggle like this. Um, we will be feeling joy in God the whole time. No tears, no weeping, no weakness, no pain, no mm. insecurity. Um, no nerves when you're public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful thing to be looking forward to. Yeah. Um, will you have a job? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be out of a job. I look forward to the day where I don't have a job. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, isn't that interesting? Because of the world that we live in, uh, most of us in this room will be out of jobs. 
Uh, if you're a farmer, you'll probably have a job. Um, maybe if you're a builder, you'll have a job. If you're a lawyer, doctor, nurse, maybe some nurses, but most of us will be out of jobs um, and we'll have new ones. Um, will you pray for us and then, then I'm just going to chat a little bit about lamenting. Is that all right? And can I, is that okay? Could you, is it that you can take frequently asked questions afterwards? Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, can I just say something before the prayer? Is that God really wants to listen to us? Mm. We see that from... Elijah, he asked him twice. <laughs> mm. He really wants us to, to um, verbalise what's in our heart to him. Mm. He already knows, but he knows that it's also important for us to tell him this. Mm. Um, I love the fact that you're doing lamenting. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thank you, Father, that you have um, made us all in your image um, and that we are all beautiful in your mm. sight. Father, I also thank you that though we're going through um, a fallen world and the difficulties, that you don't leave us to go through this struggle on our own, um, that you have placed us in communities where we can support each other. Mm. Um, and you are with us. You have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, I pray that as we are rubbing against each other and um, doing life, that you enable us to be kind to be gentle, mm. to listen to each other, and to point each other to you. I pray that you guide our words, that you give us patience, um, and give us wisdom. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. You are a fragrant rose uh, in a difficult garden. Um, and I think not only are your words demonstrations of hope, but you model it, and I appreciate that you model to us what you, um, what you encourage us to do, kindness, gentleness, listen. Even as you talk, it feels like you're listening to us, um, which I so appreciate. So thank you for modeling that. You're a great gift. Every time you talk about these things, and, and you've met, done it a couple times over the years, I think I wish you would write a book uh, or start a course or um, just do more of it. Um, but I really do thank you. You're, su you're such a gift to us. And as Mary said, um, you know, God asks Elijah twice. He, God gets Elijah talking, not because God needs to know, because God already does know, but Elijah needs to say it. He needs to get talking about it. And, um, and so God keeps asking him, why are you here? What's going on? And this is called, this talking to God, as Mary uh, is lamenting. There's a, there's a name for it. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. And then some say the majority, but at least one third of the Psalms are Lamentations. So a major port of, portion of our Bibles and the book that teaches us how to like go into God's presence is Lamentations. So uh, how well are you at lamenting? I, I've only recently started this, definitely this year, but more recently than that, doing it uh, when required. In other words, you can't lament all the time. You can't just make stuff up. Um, but wow, what a gift from God. And so I do want to encourage you, if this is you, don't, you know, like, don't undo what Mary's already said. Get into community, press in, get perspective, share what's going on. Uh, don't isolate, don't withdraw. But it, also, you know, go to the only unchanging true one, the only all-wise one. 
Um, the one who won't break a bruised reed. A bruised reed is a piece of grass that's slumped over. And the Bible says that Jesus won't even break that. A useless piece of grass that's slumped over. He will give it dignity and honor. Um, so however you feel, even if you feel like a bruised piece of grass, He will not break you. He will be gentle with you. Um, so here, quickly, let's, we're just going to read through Psalms 42. And then uh, what I want you to look for is this is how you lament. Just three simple ways. Sorry, it's not the only way. It's just I've just tried to simplify it as best as I can. One, you turn to God honestly. Uh, and if you read the Psalms, you see them say, How long, O Lord? Why have you forsaken me? You don't have to be accurate. You just share how you're feeling. God, you've been quiet for so long. You know, it doesn't mean you're now Gnostic. You're just being honest about what's going on. Number two, you ask God for help. Deliver me, rescue me, answer me. And number three, you vow to love and trust God. I will rejoice. I will praise you. I will put my hope in you. Why? Because as Mary said, he's the only unchanging truth. Everything else is wavering. So at the end of the day, what are you going to put your trust in? Your own ideas, philosophies, medication, science, or you can put your trust in the only unchanging one, God. And so it's a very okay thing to be needing to lament and at the same time say, but I trust you. All right, so let's read Psalm 42 and look out for this. We've, most, of the, most of the time, most of us know the psalm because of the song, as a deer pants. The song is, doesn't pick up on the tones of it. The song is very gentle. The song is very loving. As a deer pants for streams. You know that song? Yeah. And it's like this romantic. So my soul longs after you. That is not what's happening here. This is talking about a deer that's injured. Later on, there's an injury to his bones. It means he's like dying. You know where deers go when they're dying? Where do they go when they're dying? They go to the water to try and get, to quench their thirst, to try and get healthy, to try and not die. As a deer pants for flowing streams, I'm going to die if I don't get nurtured. So pants my soul for you, O God. This is not a physical injury. This is a deep injury. It goes to the core of who I am. This is lamenting, turning to God honestly. So my th soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is, a, this is a demanding request. This is saying, when will you show your face? Surely it's been long enough. Surely you have me tethered to the very last breath. Surely you will come through now. When? When will you show your face? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Don't you love how he distances himself there a little bit? My, you know, other people are saying, look at your life. Where's your God? Where eyes didn't come through. You know, Christians can say to each other, what sin has caused this? What did you do that God's treating you this way? What are you not doing? Don't you have enough faith? What if you just trusted God? Others are saying. See, so He's not sharing his own kind of fears and doubts over here. These are ones being imposed. Then he asks God for help in a way. Uh, some of these Psalms are far clearer, but in a way he does this by remembering what God has done. The testimonies that he has. Thing, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise. 
a multitude-keeping festival. That's encouraging him. And he vows to love and trust God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Uh, That's a high mountain far away from Mount Zion. So it's uh, far away from where he wants to be. And then he turns to God honestly again as as he does this. It turns into chaos. You know, lamenting isn't this like smooth, struggling isn't this like logical, rational thing. He's all over the show. Now suddenly he goes deep, calls to deep. You must remember in a Jewish context, uh, the the ocean is not a comfortable thing. Over here it's a wonderful thing. We love the ocean, sunsets and surfing. For the the Jewish context, heaven is without an ocean. The the ocean is like a sea of glass. The water doesn't move. They're not fantastic swimmers. And, And he goes back to the chaos. Deep calls to deep. All at the roar of your waterfalls. I just wanted a, a little bit to drink so that I could survive. But your breakers and your waves, they've gone over me. You, I'm getting crushed by these things. They're, they're, I'm drowning in it. It's too much for me. But he's going deeper and deeper. Those of you who have ever been to City Beach or some other shore break where the waves come close by, it's a fun thing to watch the tourists who don't know the beach so well um, try get over the waves. You've seen that? And you just know it's coming, the waves, no one gets over the waves. You can't get over a big wave. It will, it will take you, swallow you up, churn you up, and you'll come up not knowing which side your bathing suit is on. <laughs> and it's fantastic to watch. The way to get through is to go down, to go under it, to go to the bo- as low to the sand as you can get. In fact, there's a little sweet spot that if you get into this little sweet spot, it pulls you through. And it's like there is God, not by trying to just get through the stuff, but by going deeper, trusting. God, you are in this. I'm not going to try to avoid it, escape it, ignore it. I trust you are doing something in it. And something of the peace of God comes as we allow Him to do what, what He does. Hope in God. I, um, where are we? From deep course, the, the chaos, turning to God. And then He ends... Um, by, by day and night, sorry, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love. At night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And he ends with a vow. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If he knew the gospel, because it hasn't happened yet, he'd be able to make a different vow in light of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to let Jib take, let, I'm going to let Jib take us to that through communion. But regardless of what you're going through and the challenges that you face, because of Jesus Christ, you can make a vow to love God and to place your hope in Him.